I don't know if Matt made it really clear, I'm his older sister. <laughs> so just so that we have the context, um, I am the older sister. Thank you. It is so good to be here. I feel like I know so many of you just through mom and dad and through Matt and Amanda and through um, just their love for all of you. Um, Many, many of your names and faces are familiar, so I feel like I'm home, and that means the world to me on this Wednesday during Lent. Um, Matt, I'm really glad you told that story. Obviously, I had not heard that story um, and so it's, it gives me a different context from which to sort of jump off and tell you my story. You've heard a little bit, so maybe now if you don't know what the turquoise table is, you know, you kind of might have a little bit of an idea. But since this is a Lenten luncheon, and since we are in the season of Lent, um, and we're talking about revival, um, I, and hearing Matt's story of, of the experience at their table um, recently, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to backpedal a little bit and tell you what the Lord did in my life to revive a part in me that was dead and broken and um, in need of him, and, and what he's done from that. When I was in the seventh grade, I got beat up at a school. I never met the person who beat me up. Um, apparently, it was over lunch money, and that, you know, I, I never really knew, but it made Mama Bear over here, who y'all know and who you love, um, a little, you know, she, Mama Bear came out. And so they withdrew me from that school in the seventh grade without a plan. And so I don't know how long it was before they decided, oh yeah, Kristen probably does need to go to school. Um, it was a week or two at least. Um, but they, they ended up, it was the middle of the year, my seventh grade year, I think it was 1980, not to date myself. Um, And so I ended up in the neighborhood parochial school. And so true to their words, the nuns and and the the school took me in and and offered me an education. But what I wasn't expecting um, to happen was on about the third or fourth day um, when I was there, I was called into the Monsignor's office. And it was a big church in Dallas. Um, And the Monsignor took me into his office, full garb. Remember, I'm seventh grade, you know? And he told me that I was going to go to hell because I wasn't Catholic. I am sure there were incredible red-letter words behind Monsignor's edict to me, but I didn't have any context for that. We were not Catholic. We, I didn't have any way of processing that to me, what felt like in the seventh grade, eternal damnation. And so I, I, didn't, I didn't know what to do. A few days later then, when every day during Mass in the seventh grade, which was daily part of our ritual, um, I was not allowed to offer confession or take, receive the elements in communion, which is very awkward when you're in the seventh grade and you have to sit a few rows behind everyone else. So not knowing how to process that, I thought I'd done something wrong. I thought God was mad at me. I thought, um, if this is God from my sweet little, at the time, Methodist context, um, you know, then I, I don't want any part of him. And I gave up on a God who I knew had given up on me. And so the next few years, um, I call my wanderlust years. 
I um, had the great just privilege of being able to um, study abroad, and I spent a great amount of time. Um, I now know sort of seeking and searching far and wide for the home that I wanted to return to. I couldn't claim it or name it at that point, um, but I was looking for um, my relationship with God. And in his infinite love and care for me, um, it was about 10 years later, I was living in Paris with a woman named Violaine, and she invited me to go to Mass during Lent with her. And I was like, oh, no. I'd been to church, of course, since, but I was, you know, not back in a Catholic church, um, and I just, you know, no. And she was like, bien, 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 yes, yes, you have to come, yes. And I love this woman dearly. And so I was like, okay, I'll go. So in this beautiful, big, fabulous cathedral in Paris, which was conducted in Latin and in French, it comes time for communion. And Violaine says, come, come. And I'm like, oh, no, you know, I don't do that. And she says, but it's for everyone. And I thought, well, the first thought was, okay, I'll do it because I'm in France and no one will know. <laughs> so, but I did. I, re- I walked down and y'all, I remember thinking that this, this long, you know, the, what are the hallways in the big churches called that you proceed, you know, process down. I remember thinking it was so long and I was so nervous and I received the elements and in this Catholic church and I went back and I kneeled and I remembered all of the liturgy and I, I it, was, it was incredible and the Lord spoke to me again for the first time and was like, I am here. I've been here all along. And I love that in that full circle, it was a church, the exact same church, you know, where I had felt so bruised and hurt um, and wounded that he gave me that restoration. I also love that all these years later, God has given me a table. And it is a communion table where I believe all are welcome. It doesn't, we don't have to look very far to hear a story of someone, any of us, who've, who've had felt maybe unwelcomed in the most places, like church, where we should feel the most welcome. And that has been my heart. That has been my heart, is to welcome people who maybe have not felt welcome in a church environment. Of course, I didn't know all that at the time. Um, So flash forward a little bit, and let me tell you what was going on in my life. That's the way back story. And now here's the back story. About 10 years ago, I, um, Tony and I live in Austin, and we have four children, and so life is pretty chaotic. But I sensed in my spirit that God was calling me to something. But I, you know, and I'd ask him, Lord, tell me, you know, and you know how we all want him just to sort of give us a deep, you know, download really quick. Here's what I want you to do. And if he's done that for any of you, yay, (laughs) I have not in my experience had anything that fortunate. So over a course of what I call, it was about three years, but I call it my holy restlessness stage. And it was this time of deep learning and praying and begging God to put the dots together, to connect it. What is it that you want to do with me, Lord? How have you called me to serve you? I'm here, Lord. You know, what what can I do? And all these mornings, prayer journals on the couch and showing up at Bible studies and just seeking, I think I was trying too hard. Um, And so finally, I just said, okay, Lord, this is up to you. Show me what to do. Um, and that's when the table arrived. And here's another interesting thing. There were, there, because I didn't have time to do anything more, right? So I've already established that we're a busy mom of, you know, I'm a busy mom of four. Um, and so what I didn't know then, but a word that I've, what I associate with now is loneliness. I was desperately lonely. I am an extrovert's extrovert. 
I have more people that I'm in communication with on an hourly or a moment's basis that I did not recognize the signs of loneliness. What I had to learn and what God had to teach me was that loneliness and isolation are two totally different things. Loneliness is lack of meaningful conversation and connection. And so what I was doing was going really, really wide, but I wasn't going very deep. So I was in PTA things, children's organizations, you know, all of the clubs and things. I was in an incredible, and I'm still in an incredible Bible study. But it felt like I was just moving from one thing to the next and one thing to the next. And my body, my soul was craving deeper connection. I wanted the depth. So loneliness, I, like I said, I didn't call it that did, but that's, that's sort of where my heart and spirit was. Another thing that was going on that I noticed um, in Tony's in my life was that it, sense of place. Y'all hear the term placemaking a lot. Or, um, Tony and I had lived in the neighborhood um, at the time. I think it said we'd been there 10 years. We've now been there 15 years. And I knew a handful of neighbors. I knew the neighbors who were just like me. I knew the other moms who were in the minivan, who were going wide but not deep, who were texting, it's all fine, it's good, we're great, you know, and kind of bopping around from one event to the next event to the next event, doing all good things, mind you. But those were the, the, the people that I knew. And so it, I started thinking back kind of on our, to back to our childhood, and I don't want to romanticize, you know, oh, back in the day, it was all wonderful, but it was different. You know, the street that we grew up on, on Desco in, in Dallas, I mean, you know, we were probably at the Clarks more often for dinner than we might have been, you know, at mom and dad's, and we could run in and out of the, the houses, and, and there was a sense of freedom um, that, that was, kids were just outside. We knew when we were hungry, because our tummies rumbled, it was time for dinner somewhere, right? And my children weren't experiencing, and still aren't experiencing that outside. I, I joke about kind of the, the parenting um, differences, and it, of course this is like a you know, hyperbole exaggeration, but it, it hits home in a way in that when I was growing up, if we got in trouble or mom, we, you know, she needed our attention, she'd holler outside, Kristen, get home and get inside and get into your room. You know, and then now I notice with parenting, if we need our children's attention or if they're in trouble or we're trying to do something, we're like, get out of your room and get outside and play. And so there's this whole sort of shift, neither one right or wrong, but I realized we didn't have this sense of place. We were very friendly to our neighbors, um, but again, not, it just wasn't the same. And then finally, the last thing that was really going on in my mind at this time of um, trying to figure out what God was doing with my life was this new way of communication, digital technology. And so I noticed that the way I was communicating with family and friends was a whole lot different. And we were using a whole lot more of eye devices and a whole lot less of eye contact. Sarah, our youngest daughter, was born six weeks after, before the iPhone came out. And so Sarah will never know a time in her life without digital technology. And it really, to this day, my children, you know, I really wonder, can they have a conversation or is it all limited to emojis? And, and, it, and it started bugging me. It started making me wonder, you know, can we have a conversation without, you know, okay, sup, sapman. And, 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 and my children, I love them, but they, they, they're, they, they got this whole double thumb thing down that I will never understand. But I can't blame it just on the kids. It was also me. 
I'll never forget one of the days I was, Kimberly and I talk every single day, and Kimberly and I were, we were both, Chloe and Anna, were, they still weren't driving, so we were in the carpool line. And we were having a pretty important conversation, texting though, but we were texting and finally I said, well, where are you? I've got to pick up Anna, you know, she's, I can see her coming. She's like, I'm in carpool line. Y'all, she was right in front of me. And this was, a, this was a conversation that I just thought, gosh, if we had been outside of our cars and off of our phones, we could have had this conversation just like this, and it would have been a whole lot different. So all these things were going on, you know, in my mind, sense of place, loneliness of, of desire to go deeper in connection, um, and then this, just this whole digital era age, you know, and how to parent, but then how to communicate myself. So that's really what was going on when the table arrived. And so the table did, it showed up for a party, you know, a party that I was having with a neighbor, um, and it was delivered by two guys from Lowe's, and this moment, y'all, when they brought it to my front yard, I've never, don't ever tell Tony this, but it was almost like when I met him. It was, <laughs> oh, I saw this table, and they put it outside underneath our magnolia tree, and it's heavy. And so they came to the front door and they got me and they were like, where do you want this table? And y'all, it was like I knew. It was like I knew. I was like, this table, I'm gonna, I want it there. And they put it in the back for the party. But immediately I started the what ifs. What if? What if we left it in the front yard? And what if we just began doing all the things we're already doing? Because I don't know, we don't have time for a program or something new. What if we were literally having pizza dinners on paper plates, but instead we did it in the front yard. What if instead of doing all the glitter projects inside, <laughs> we took those outside and made the art project messes in the front yard? What if we did things we were already doing, but we did them in a more visible way? And what if we invited curiosity and invited people, if they passed by, just to con quick conversation in this ordinary way to just hang out and stop and, and, and see what we were up to. And what if we called ourselves front yard people? And that's, that's the rocket science behind all of it. It was the hugest hypothesis. I remember when I told the family that night, or you know, one of the nights in between the week of the party and the week that I put the table out front, you know, this is what mom's thinking. What do y'all think? You know, uh, you know, they all had their own reactions. Will was the one who infamously said, "You're just doing your part to keep Austin weird, mom." Um, and so, you know, what could possibly go wrong? The girls didn't really have much of a, of a clue. Tony was thrilled. I'm the extrovert's extrovert, as I said. He's an introvert's introverts. If, if I'm outside loving on people, that is just a gift from God to our marriage. And so it was just one of these things where it was so simple that it almost kind of, I could have overlooked it had I not thought back to that story of the communion table. I called mom because she's really good with paint, if y'all know or if you don't know. And so we picked out nifty turquoise because it sounded so cool. So that, again, rocket science behind how all of this came about. Put the table out in the front yard. Um, it rained for a week. I think God was just giving me incredible courage and, you know, kind of getting up, you know, my nerve because as the days wore on, I did think this is a little weird. Who puts a turquoise picnic table in their front yard? 
And I had no clue, plan, or concept of what to do other than I kept hearing front yard people, front yard people, front yard people. And I know what it meant. So I did. I showed up that first day, took all that stuff out there. Um, and it says within three hours, we put the table out and then I went out and, but was within at least five minutes, a neighbor I had never seen before walks by, never seen her at HEB, in the post office, anything. And y'all, this story, um, is just, it, it's, (laughs) it still takes my breath away a little bit. She um, was delivering a piece of junk mail to another neighbor. So she received just, you know, a flyer type thing, glossy flyer, and it had gone to her house, and she was walking it down the street in front of my house to a neighbor three doors down. And so she tells me this, and I'm already discouraged thinking, oh my gosh, she's already a better neighbor than me, because I would have recycled that thing so fast. (laughs) I mean, who does that, right? And so I'm like, okay, God, (laughs) you know. For 30 minutes, Susan and I had the most incredible conversation, and I can't imagine now not knowing Susan, and I can't imagine Sarah not knowing about her pottery and all of the things that she does three houses from us as a crow flies. One house over, one house on the next street, and then across the street. Three houses as a crow flies. I'd never seen her. So I took that as encouragement, and I showed up again. Then the next time, I texted some friends who lived in the neighborhood And I just said, hey, y'all pop in Thursday morning after drop-off on your way to work. I just want to let you know about this table. I want you to be able to tell your husbands that the property taxes are not going to go out of whack. And, you know, just you just need to know why I've put this thing in my front yard. And so, first of all, the first miracle was that all four women showed up. Because if we were to pull out our phones right now and try to all get together from coffee, I want to see you. I haven't seen you in forever. 2020, you think? You know? And so the fact that... They, they all showed up, and we visited, and it was going to be a pop-in thing for 10, 15, 20 minutes, but two hours later, here's what I didn't expect. I didn't expect for each one of those women to pull out their phones and order a table from Lowe's. They wanted turquoise tables, too. So I started thinking, okay, maybe there's something to this. Amanda's birthday was right after that in November, and so you were one of the very first outside of our little group to get a turquoise table. And then a friend wanted one in South Carolina for Christmas, and then a friend in Nebraska. And all of a sudden, there were turquoise tables popping up in front yards, word of mouth, mostly friends of mine at the time. And I just, why? Why was what I kept saying. Why would, I mean, I figured for me why, because maybe this was my big answer. But what do we know about God? He doesn't redeem and restore and renew the heart of one without meaning for it to go to others. Now, I didn't know that at the time. But, I, but now that's what is. The other thing is, is that I was not alone in my loneliness. I was not the only woman feeling like I was going wide, doing all good things but feeling crazily depleted and like there had to be more. There had to be more to the conversations. There had to be more to even the Bible studies in small groups that we were participating in. I wasn't the only one who was trying to figure out this new digital age. We live in the most connected era in history. And statistics prove what I was feeling. We're lonelier than ever. I wasn't alone. I also wasn't alone in the sense of placemaking. People now, you know, from little things, the way that architecture now has changed. We don't have front porches that much anymore. Front porches used to be a necessity. We didn't have air conditioning. So we'd sit out on front porches and we'd meet our neighbors and we'd stay cool until it was time to go in. 
I don't know when they went out of vogue, and I don't know what it is in San Antonio, but in Austin, all of a sudden, now they're sort of garages, or they're just sort of more stoops, but little things like that. Sometimes our, our, our mailboxes aren't even in front of us. You know, they're, they're down the street, and they're in clusters, and people go, they don't have even connection with the mailman. Nobody gets the paper anymore, at least where we live, so they're not out front picking up the paper and talking over coffee with a neighbor. Well, none of those are bad things, but it changes the way that we connect in the places that we call home. And so this momentum kept growing, y'all, and that was five and a half years ago, and there are now thousands of turquoise tables in all 50 states and 13 countries. <laughs> I mean, solely Dio Gloria. And again, <laughs> there wasn't a lot of planning behind that what if. <laughs> That's how it started, with a hypothesis. But now I have the great pleasure of trying to figure out how to... I, I feel a lot like Dear Abby. People email me great emails all the time, you know, about barking dogs and neighborhood issues and things that, you know, that apparently they think I can solve, which of course I can't. And let me tell you what happens and is going on in, in Minnesota right now is certainly not what's going on right now in, in San Antonio. I'll never forget one of the very first winters that this... It was, you know, right after... It was the year after I'd put a table in and a woman emails me from Minnesota and says, what do we do during the winter? And so I'm like, no problem. Go back to Lowe's, you know, get one of those tabletop little fire pits, just put it on top of your turquoise table and y'all can just do s'mores and like have hot chocolate and things like that. I get a, there's like, you know, a day or two <laughs> delay while this woman is probably mustering up enough grace to reply to me. And Kristen, our table's about five feet under snow. <laughs> and so I knew right then and there that it was not going to be my job to tell people how to be good neighbors. I am now the holder of stories. And so I share stories when they're relevant for, for people in you know, Minnesota, but I'm not going to tell Minnesotans what to do in the winter at their tables. Each neighborhood has taken on the most incredible and they're incredible stories. They really are. Um, we have, I mean, neighborhood associations that are adopting these as ways to bring people back into, you know, community with potlucks. A lot of people start with potlucks or pizza nights, something really simple at the table. Just bring them out. And we'll talk about this as a community. Um, universities, I had no idea, um, would, would glom onto this. We are about to dedicate our ninth university table um, next week or next early in, in April. The first one was a community, Austin Community College. They reached out to me and they said, we are a commuter school. And so we, the students don't really interact with one another and they certainly don't interact much with the faculty. And so we're noticing that our students have lower morale, they're not as connected, there may be some other things going on. Do you think you would, can we use the table? And so we went, I went out there, and, and they primed two tables, and I, I had them, we were at a university, and so I, instead of having them write their prayers or verses, I had them write their wishes and intentions for communities. And so they, they wrote and illustrated, and the creativity of these students was just incredible, and then we painted over it with turquoise, and it's in their student life center. Hospitals. We have this incredible um, hospital in, what's the children? Cook, Cook Children in, in Fort Worth. They just adopted a version of this with turquoise hospitality carts so that their volunteers can push turquoise carts. And y'all, they matched the same color. They had them made. And they push them around so that they can be front yard people 
in the hospital. And so the creativity is just astounding. It's just astounding. And I would never come here and say, here's what Grace ought to do. You know, let's roll up our sleeves and let's, because this is your community. But I want each of you to think and pray about the places you call home. And then somebody's going to tell me that you live in a homeowners association or you don't have, or you have a slope and it won't fit. And I I have answers for all of those, by the way. And so I'm not going to let you off the hook. But if, if your home and your front yard doesn't work, where do you spend the most time? Where's a place that's really important to you? We just dedicated 10 of them at Good Samaritans in Garland last fall. And this is a place now where people come and they have, a, they have a food service where they offer food at the turquoise tables to homeless people in the neighborhood. And it's beautiful with twinkle lights and there's incredible, amazing volunteers that show up to serve. And the turquoise table is a tiny little part of that. And it's become a symbol of hospitality. The verse that God has given me through all of this and early on is Romans 12, 13. And it's when Paul is telling us how to live. And it's kind of known as the hospitality verse. And so I needed it afresh. I needed it anew. I needed to hear something. And so I came across a translation. It's not a paraphrase. It's an actual translation in the voice. And Romans 12, 13 says in the voice, take every opportunity to open your life and home to others. And so that's the context now and the definition of what it means to be front yard people. Front yard people are gospel people. We're living our lives in curious and inviting and welcoming ways right where we live. It's not a program. It's not a plan or plot. or there's, There's no agenda other than to love and to serve and to welcome. I have a list of sort of we, and in great Benedictine style, um, I have come, we, we came up with a group of us, a rule of life, and I don't know if y'all have done those here, if you've created rules of life, um, but it, it has, it's an ancient tradition, and so we had some fun with this, and we came up with sort of our rules of life for front yard people, and so I just, these are some practical things as you're thinking about your neighborhoods, and as you're thinking about ways, whether it's at a table or not. Um, just to be encouraged to take every opportunity to open your life and home to others. And so these are our rules of life, if you will. The first is pray. (laughs) It sounds like it should be the first, and it is, but how often do I forget to stop whatever I'm doing and and actually pray? Um, That's a confession. (laughs) The act of prayer connects people. We know that. We know that to be true, and I'm sure every single one of you has a story of the power of prayer and how you've been connected with maybe someone you didn't even know just by offering up their name. Even if we don't know their name, God will change our hearts towards those people. And so y'all know to prayer walk, where you do prayer walk the neighbors um, in your neighborhoods and just begin a prayer um, for your neighborhood and for the people who live maybe just a fence apart. The next is the most practical thing. Learn your neighbor's names. Now, that sounds like a no-brainer, but how many of us do that? Hey! (laughs) Hey! Oh, hi! Hey, guy! Hey, dude! Hey, what's up, buddy? Uh Uh-huh. Name. God names us. He names each of us. He calls us by names. The most validating thing we can do to one another is look them in the eye and say, I love you, Dana Rickabaugh. I mean, that's powerful, right? That's your name, right? (laughs) But learn your names. That's a hard one for me, you know? And so I have all kind of little tricks in my head. And, you know, if you mess it up, you mess it up, right? But learn people's names. The third thing is also, these are so simple, y'all. You're probably going, yeah, duh. 
Um, but show up. Show up. We're all tired. We all got things to do. But somebody has to go first. And chances are if you're here and you're listening and you're involved you know, in the grace community, you're going to be one of the ones that will go first, right? Invite someone. Invite someone. Now you know their names, right? So just invite them. Whatever works in your neighborhood. We, like I said, we started, I started with the text and just invited some friends. Like a pizza works great. Donuts on a Saturday morning. Whatever in your community works. But show up. Show up. The, third, or the fourth thing, I had no idea what this was, and, and God taught me the ministry of presence. I had never heard that. I had never heard and didn't know what the ministry of presence was. And I saw it modeled through an 84-year-old widow in Prague, hang with me, <laughs> um, named Ludmila. Ludmila, this was actually a video that I saw um, at a conference that I attended with you um, about nine years, eight or nine years ago. But Ludmila had just recently, she was 84 at the time, lost her husband and was asking the same questions I was as a young mother and wife. What is it that I'm supposed to do now? What, how can I be yours, Lord? What? And he gave her, reminded her all throughout Isaiah, and the biggest command is, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. I am still with you. You are mine. You are now my betrothed. And I am calling you to be the ambassador to the kingdom of heaven. Which, by the way, isn't just for Ludmila. It's for all of us. So listen to what this woman did, y'all. She lives in the most atheist part of of the old Eastern Bloc, and she puts this plaque outside her brownstone that says, Embassy of the Kingdom of Heaven. (laughs) And here's what she does next. She just invites people to come sit at her table. Now, Ludmila is not on Pinterest. Ludmila is not making a whole bunch of fuss. I've seen pictures now of her kitchen, and it's about five, or her whole apartment is about this little space right here. So there were no excuses for Ludmila. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, or just through word of mouth, people come to her, and guess what she does? She sits, she listens, and she prays. She's present. And in this day and age, I don't know if I just sit and pray and listen, I feel a little... I feel like I'm not doing much because we want to be doing. But maybe God's calling us just to be being. And so I've had to relearn that through the presence, the the ministry of presence. Another one, this one I put in here mostly for my kids, but it's be kind. (laughs) It's better to be kind than right. Maybe we don't always have to be debating something. Maybe we don't always have to have or voice the, the immediacy of, a, of an opinion on, on right or wrong. If we're just present and being kind, how could those conversations look? The turquoise table is a place for everyone, a place for everyone to come and sit down with dignity to feel welcome and to be heard. Mr. Rogers, I love this quote, and his um, 100th birthday was actually about a week or so ago. Um, I like to think he'd be a little bit happy of the turquoise tables. (laughs) Um, But he says, as human beings, our job in life is to help people realize how rare and valuable each one of us really is. That each one of us has something else that no one else has or will ever have. Something inside that is unique all the time. And we want to believe that for ourselves. But we need to believe it for whoever's sitting next to us or across from us at the table, too. Number six, listen with intent to learn. This one is the hardest one for me. I'm not a really good listener. I like to talk, clearly. (laughs) Um, But listen with the intent to learn. 
Listening is the closest expression of love that we can offer someone, especially someone who we really don't know. Um, and someone, like someone has to go first and initiate an invitation. Someone also has to take the role of the listener. Seven is love. Again, it should be a no-brainer, but these are just the values and the rules of life that, that we've adopted as front yard people. Mother Teresa says, if we have no peace, it's because we've forgotten we belong to one another. And belonging is the whole part of community that Christ has called us to be in together. We were created to live in community. God gave us to one another um, to contribute to the needs of others and to serve one another. And then finally, this is the last one. Um, and and it's, it's, you know how Jesus always kind of flips things upside down and does the opposite of what we think that, that he's going to do. And this one in our society is too. It's think small. Think small. We dream big. We want big things. We like, you know, bigness and because we equate that somehow with goodness. But small is how you go deep. Picnic tables by design are not more meant to fit more than four people, six if you squish, eight if somebody's on top. And so this smallness is so counterintuitive because it doesn't feel like maybe we're doing enough. Well, maybe I'm not out doing enough. But it goes back to that what if. What if? And when we follow these rules and we show up and we listen and we love and we're kind and we're practicing the ministry of presence, we know that if there's just two or more gathered at his table, we know what he's going to do. And so finally, y'all, this is, that's what it means to be a front yard people. Um, we are now people all over the United States. Not all are believers. Um, in fact, it's an interesting to note that now I spend about 80% of my time outside of church. Um, and so that's, that's been interesting and a really big growth plate for me um, to go and not, not use the terms and the, the love and, 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 and talk about Jesus like I love to do. Um, but that's where we're called to be, outside of the church walls so often. Um, and so I invite you now, I'd love to spend a little bit of time if you have questions, if there's practical things that, you know, I can dive into. Each community is different and you may have heard something um, that's resonated in a different way. Um, but I would love to answer questions on how y'all might take a step to be front yard people too. What's your recommendation for a front yard that slopes? Find a, find a neighbor that has one that doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't have to be in your front yard. It doesn't. In fact, there's a really neat uh, story of a, of a group that was really worried about, you know, the commitment and it being in our front yard. And so they do, they take, you know, a month or I don't know how they divvy it up, but they just kind of, they roam it around. So, you know, there's ways around it. It doesn't have to be um, directly in your front yard, but somewhere. So pray about that. You're going to get an answer. I promise. What else? Yes. Yes. People there do different things. You can talk to the condo association and maybe if there's some place outside, like near the mailboxes or someplace. What I like to ask people is where do people naturally tend to gather? You know, is there already a rec room or a community center? Or is there some place where people, and if it's not a table, get a turquoise tablecloth and tell a friend, you know, that you know, hey, this is what we're going to do. We just want to toss this tablecloth out and just invite you to get to, to know one another. Um, and so this, we don't have to think too literal, you know, about it. The, the table, again, has now just become a symbol of this hospitality. But talk to someone in your, um, you know, who lives, if you know neighbors there or whoever runs it, yeah, and just see. What else? Think of a good one, because i got to have a little sip of water. 
Have y'all seen any around San Antonio? And so you're familiar maybe then with what they were? Schools are, schools are another great place. Um, we've commissioned several in schools too. Yes? What does a normal rhythm look like? If you're really busy and mm-hmm. but I love the concept and then like you miss a week, how does that affect That's a great question, and what I remind people is there's sort of like a bell curve of how this works, you know. Everybody starts out really excited, you know, and they want to be out there a lot and doing things, and I have to, and my biggest advice to that is that, remember, it's not the doing, it's the being. And so, you know, and nobody's also going to be in this room or who lives in San Antonio at a turquoise table in August, okay? So we can just get that clear. So, you know, the, the mosquitoes and heat. So do you, you just have to do what works in your schedule. There's no guilt, you know? It's those opportunities that, you know, if you're never out there, you know, that's one thing. But if you're out there as often as you can, guess who sees that and knows the intention of your heart and is probably going to, if not the first, second, third time, an encounter will happen. I have never had anyone yet in five and a half years say, I'm five years in and I haven't met anybody. So I don't, I mean, I, we just have to go on faith. Yeah. Oh, I have so many turquoise table stories I can share. When I was painting my table, I painted it in the front yard. And I can't tell you how many people stopped. Yes. And came to talk to me and ask me what I was doing and why I was doing it. And then one day I looked out my front yard and there was Deanna and Alice Payne. And that's... It's the best. Yesterday, I was actually trying to work a little bit on on, on work, and I, and my window, my desk window, sits right in front of it's the in the kitchen, and it, I can't see the turquoise table from my from my kitchen window, but I can hear and I know. And y'all, there's this incredible woman who babysits two kids in our neighborhood, and so. Every after, not every after, but five days a week, you know, they're going to pick up the older daughter, and um, and then they've rubbed, they had the little one sits there, and she they put these stickers one day. They call it the fairy table, and um, and the au pair does not speak much English, and so it's been incredible just to go out and you know offer water or lemonade when I can. But through the little one, they've left these these this rows of little stickers. There's only one left, and it breaks my heart because that you know so people do they use the table. They need time out, and then you know 15 minutes here just to stop and have. A a place to rest. They know, you know, they call it the fairy table and, and that's awesome. You know, they can call it whatever they want. They know they're welcome there. And I love that I've never had to even explain that. They knew via, kind of like via, I mean, like, like Ludmila, they knew through word of mouth or Holy Spirit that, you know, that they, this was a place that was, that they were welcome to hang out. Any other practical questions or thoughts? How many of y'all know your neighbors, right? I mean, Show of hands. How many know your neighbors? Okay. How many know most of your neighbors' names? This is not judgment. This is just fun. How many of you know that you can go in the back door and where the cookie jar is and you can walk in and open it and take out a cookie and just kind of help yourself? Right? One. Okay. And again, that's not judgment. That is the level and the progression, though, of what awaits us when we open the door and show up. So thank y'all. Thank you very much. <laughs> Little brother. <laughs> well, I, I, I can say uh, on good authority that uh, my older sister is almost always right. So <laughs> that, was, that was incredibly uh, helpful and encouraging. Um, 
One of the things that I want to encourage us to take away is to remember that we're all lonely. Our families are lonely. Our neighbors are lonely. And we all carry hurts from being rejected or excluded. And yet, God made each and every one of us, every man, woman, and child for relationship. And so it's not about the table, but the table is an inspired, God-given vehicle to be who we are, to be in relationship. And so uh, I want to encourage us all, beginning with me, to take every opportunity to open your life and your home to others. What would happen if every one of us just took a baby step and started doing that this spring? What would happen in our own lives? What would happen in our marriages and our families? What would happen in our neighborhoods? I'm fairly confident it'd be good. Might be challenging, but it'd be good. So let it be. Amen.